Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Today, let's talk about attention-seeking behaviors. You probably have some that are popping in your head right now because attention-seeking behaviors are pretty common. We all engage in attention-seeking behaviors. I engage in attention-seeking behaviors when I post on Instagram, when I text someone, when I talk to my kids. I'm trying to get attention. But when we say attention-seeking behaviors, we're all kind of thinking the same thing. We're thinking of attention-seeking behaviors that are maladaptive, that are negative, that are disruptive, that aren't productive or helpful for that child. So we're not going to get rid of attention-seeking behaviors because we all have them. We want to move towards positive, pro-social, communicative attention-seeking behaviors, right? Not aggressive, negative, destructive attention-seeking behaviors. So first, let's scale back. How do we know if something is an attention-seeking behavior? If our problem behavior is attention-seeking, how do we know that? We don't get to guess. We don't get to do some casual observation. We want to know. And we're never going to know for certain, 
but I want data to back up my decision so it's not just that casual opinion. I want to have some backup. So we know something or start to know something is an attention-seeking behavior when we've taken ABC data to confirm that that's what it could be. So ABC data is your antecedent, your behavior, and your consequence. So before you do an intervention, you collect ABC data to see what's going on. And I have to do this before I do an intervention because how else would I know what intervention to pick? I have to pick an intervention that goes along with the function or the why of this behavior. So of course, we're starting with ABC data first. So we want to collect some ABC data of noting what's happening before a behavior and what's happening after a behavior. This information is going to give us a clue on the whole context and on the why. So after we collect some ABC data, we want to look at the trends, the patterns. The point of ABC data is to analyze it. So you've got to analyze it. So we look at that data and when you see that a lot of the consequences, so what's happening after the behavior involves another person, that could be a good clue that this could be an attention-seeking behavior. So we want to see patterns and trends, things that are happening consistently because that will give us that information that this could be an attention-seeking behavior. So let's take a quick detour. What does attention mean? What does the consequence of involving another person mean? When you and I think about desired attention, we're thinking of that nice attention, the warm, fuzzy attention, praise, laughter, people saying nice things to us, talking to us. Ooh, that's, that's good attention, right? But attention is anything that involves another person. That means that attention can be yelling, reprimands, eye contact, talking about a student in front of them. Oh my gosh, guys, I hate that. One of my pet peeves. Attention can be peer attention, adult attention. Attention comes in so many forms. So when we're looking at that ABC data and we see that frequently after a problem behavior, another adult is involved or another person is involved, that's going to clue us in that this could be an attention-seeking behavior. So let's go through a, a few hypothetical examples. So let's say every time Johnny screams... An adult comes over to tell him to be quiet, to show him a quiet card, to bring him to a break area, to give him a fidget, to give him, to take him on a walk in the hallway. So every time he screams, an adult's involved. An adult is coming over to do something. Let's say another student, Max, tells an inappropriate joke in the middle of class. And what happens when you tell an inappropriate joke in the middle of class? Everyone laughs. It's hilarious. So Max continues to tell inappropriate jokes. His peers laugh. His peers, you know, tell him that's hilarious. His peers give him fist bumps. That's attention. So when we're consistently seeing that happen time and time again, that's going to give us that information that we need that, okay, this could be an attention-seeking behavior. Something to note when it comes to analyzing your ABC data is that it's always going to skew a little bit towards attention because most consequences in a classroom or whatever setting it is are likely going to be delivered or involve in some way a person. And I just said, if we're seeing consequences that consistently involve another person, it could be attention. But let's go to some of our kind of 
made up examples. So if Johnny screams and some a person comes over and brings him to a break area, it could be an attention behavior, but it also could be an escape behavior because he's escaping whatever activity he's doing to go to the break area. He's escaping his work task to the break area. Yes, an adult is bringing him here, but the big reinforcer for him, what he wants to get out of screaming is the break area. Another example I said is that Johnny screams an adult comes over and brings a fidget. Well, this could be a sensory seeking behavior and that fidget is giving him some sensory input. We might look at our ABC data and think, oh, but, and a, you know, Miss, Miss Thomas comes over, so this must be an ad- attention seeking behavior. But you want to dig a little deeper because Miss Thomas is coming over to bring a fidget. So it could be the fidget that he wants access to instead of the attention from the person. So that's why taking some very thorough ABC data over many days is going to be the most helpful. So we can dig a little deeper and see everything that's going on. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Okay, so we've done our due diligence. We've taken ABC data. We have a good idea that this problem behavior is attention-seeking. So what are we going to do about it? That That's the point of listening to this episode, right? You're like, okay, I got it. I got it. I get it can be negative attention. I get that I need to take ABC data. But now, what do I do? You're going to use the starve it and replace it framework. This is how we're going to approach most behavior change. We want to do two things. We want to starve the negative behavior and replace it with something positive and pro-social. Remember at the start of this episode, I said, we're not getting rid of attention-seeking behaviors. We just want to move towards attention-seeking behaviors that are positive and productive. Negative behaviors typically show a skill deficit. And we're teachers. We're experts in addressing skill deficits. We can teach the missing skill. This problem behavior is showing that there is some skill that this child has not yet mastered. So if your behavior plan, if your strategy, if your intervention does not involve a teaching component, I really challenge you to look at that more carefully because you need to address the missing skill. And if you don't, that problem behavior will continue. This approach has to have two components. You have to have the starve it and you have to have the replace it and it has to go on at the same time. I so often see behavior plans that are missing the replacement behavior piece. And that's the most important part. That's how we get real long lasting behavior change that impacts a student's life in so many areas, at home, at school, at work. This, these are the skills that lead to friendships, to new behaviors, to more inclusion, to more independence. This is where the magic is. So we cannot forget our replacement behaviors. So let's go through this idea of starve and replace it. And I'm basically going to summarize what I do in like a full day PD in a few minutes here. So this is giving you the cliff notes version, but I, I like a good cliff notes version, guys. So when I say starve it, I mean reduce or eliminate 
the attention for that problem behavior. And I say reduce or eliminate together specifically. Because when we say take away the attention for the problem behavior, the first thing that pops into everyone's head is, oh my God, I can't do that. So I get it. You can't always eliminate all attention for something. So let's let's scale back and talk about what this looks like. So we're reducing or eliminating attention for the problem behavior. So this could look like planned ignoring, where you are ignoring the problem behavior, the negative behavior. You're not giving it attention. It's important to know when you are thinking about or training people to use planned ignoring, we are not ignoring the child. We're ignoring the behavior. That's a very important distinction. When the child engages in anything that is not the problem behavior, I am giving them attention all day, every day. But it's the problem behavior we're ignoring. Reducing or eliminating attention for the problem behavior could also look like a timeout. Timeout is something that gets a bad rap. I think of timeout as time away from reinforcement. You're just removing the source of reinforcement, which here is attention. So you're just removing attention. Timeout can be a very powerful intervention when utilized appropriately, of course, for attention-seeking behaviors because you're removing attention from that behavior and you're removing the source of attention, which is you or peers. And of course, timeout needs to be done ethically and appropriately. When I think of timeout, I really just think of that, that time away from attention. So me turning my back, the child sitting at a table for a few minutes by themselves, and then coming back to them after. So that is going to signal that, hey, when you engage in aggression, property destruction, et cetera, you're not getting access to me anymore. But when you engage in these awesome, great, positive, communicative behaviors that we're teaching you, then you get my attention. So this starving and replacing has to be done at the same time. So starving it is reducing or eliminating attention and replace it is teaching and reinforcing the replacement behavior. So the replacement behavior is something that's getting the child access to attention, whether that's a break card, raising your hand, saying, hey, teacher, tapping someone on their shoulders. You need to think about the type of attention that the child is trying to get and give them a communicative way to get access to that same, that same type of attention. This replacement behavior behavior has to be two things. It has to be easier and more effective than the problem behavior. Let's let that sentence simmer for a minute because that sentence is huge. It has to be easier and more effective than the problem behavior. So the response itself has to be easier. If you have a student that has emerging verbal language is putting together one to two to three words, you're not going to require them to say, hi, Miss Sasha, because that's hard. That's effortful. Instead, I might have them just hand a visual up to me or raise their hand. The response needs to be easy. And a lot of our problem behaviors, guys, are actually kind of easy. Screaming out whenever you want is pretty easy. Laying um, like a starfish in the middle of the floor is pretty easy. So you want to think about what type of skill you can teach that's easier. And then the next part, it's more effective. So when I mentioned replace it, replace it, I said you need to teach and reinforce the replacement behavior. So you need to reinforce that replacement behavior to get buy-in. 
you need to show the child that, hey, raising your hand, tapping me on the shoulder, giving me a card, using your PEX book, using your AC device, all the all of these things that I'm going to teach you or one of these things that I would have taught you, it works. It works because I'm going to be there giving you attention whenever you use it. That's often what is missing in the replacement behavior teaching is we're like, oh, well, he has a, you know, he has an attention card or he has a break card or he has whatever, but he doesn't use it. Well, when he's tried to use it, have you given him attention? Have you taught him how to use it? Have you modeled? Have you provided reinforcement when he has used it? That's really key. Not only do we have to teach this replacement behavior, we then need to provide reinforcement for it. Okay, so here's our general process. We take ABC data. We figure out why the problem behavior is occurring. We look at the trends to see if there's consistent patterns on what's happening before or after a problem behavior. If we see it's attention-seeking, we're going to move towards starving it of that attention and replacing the problem behavior with a pro-social communicative behavior that also gets attention. Now... Easier said than done, right? We can't summarize a whole complicated behavior plan into a few quick sentences. Let's kind of go through some of my most common questions and concerns. Like, oh, I don't think this is going to work because, and also my what ifs. I always get a lot of what ifs. What if Johnny does this? What if Sarah does that? So my first what if is what if you can't ignore the problem behavior? So you can't take away attention. Of course, there are many, many behaviors that you can't ignore. You can't take attention away. Remember, ignore is just taking attention away. Things like aggression, especially student-on-student aggression, you cannot ignore that. I am not advocating you run a little illegal fight club in your classroom. Heck no. If a student is being aggressive towards another student, you have to intervene to keep them safe. For your students that are runners, if your student is sprinting out of your classroom door and you're not at a school that has safety precautions of different staff at doorways and an intercom system with all that good stuff where you can make sure they stay safe, guess what? You're running after them because you are not going to let them get out of the building and get themselves in an unsafe situation. Even if that aggression or that running is attention-seeking, you have to give attention to it. There are behaviors where you have to intervene to keep everyone safe. Of course you do. But you can reduce the amount of attention you give. You want to play with the magnitude of your attention. This is a big misstep I see. We give unnecessary extra attention to these behaviors where we can still be keeping people safe, still be intervening, but without all the extra stuff. So let's go back to my example of the runners. So if you have a runner, you're going to completely get what I'm saying. You're kind of like walking on eggshells all the time, right? When the child gets out of your doorway, all bets are off because you are running after them. Like I said, you're not going to risk them getting outside of the building. 
going onto the street, et cetera. You're going to get them. So let's talk through two very different examples. So the first example, the teacher runs after the student. You get them at the end of the hallway. When you get them, you're out of breath. You're like, oh my gosh, why did you run? You shouldn't have done that. You spend the whole walk back to class lecturing them, telling them why they shouldn't have done what they've done. And then my favorite part of this whole scenario I'm saying that sarcastically, is the re-entry into the classroom. And there's always drama. You re-enter the classroom, the teacher walks back in, and you're huffing and you're puffing, and for some reason you feel the need to tell everyone how out of shape you are. You're like, oh, oh, oh my God, I, 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 he got so far. I, I ran so fast. And then there's the discussion. All the other people in the classroom, it's like they've taken bets on how far Johnny has run down the hallway. You're like, did he get to room 302? Did he get to the staircase? Did he get to that window? And you're like, oh, yeah, he got to room 302. Everyone's talking about it. You bring the child back to his chair. You're continuously talking about what's going on. There's so much extra stuff. Hoopla. It's a whole scene. Everyone's involved. There's so much unnecessary attention. You did not need to give that much attention to keep that child safe. So instead, same scenario, Johnny sprints out the room down the hallway. Teacher runs after him, teacher gets him, no eye contact, no talking, right back to the classroom, no drama re-entry, no huffing and puffing, no talking about how far he gets, doesn't talk about it with anyone, child goes right back to what he was doing, business as usual. Both kids are safe. But there is a very different level of attention in those two scenarios. So you want to minimize the attention you're giving for the problem behaviors and save all that great, amazing attention for the replacement behavior. So the next comment or concern I get about this whole starve it and replace it framework is he knows how to ask for attention. It's always said like that. He knows Well, if he knew, he'd be doing it, right? If he knew an appropriate, positive way to get attention and he knew that that would work, he'd be doing it. So whether or not he has that behavior in his repertoire, he might not have buy-in yet for that behavior. You need to teach the replacement behavior and reinforce it. You've got to get the buy-in. You've got to show them that it works and it works well and it works better. So that might mean that for a while, not forever, but for a while, every time Johnny raises his hand, you call on him. Every single time. If he raises his hand 68 times in one period, yep, You're calling on him 68 times. And I know it's not fair. And oh my gosh, 68 times he's going to get attention. You know what? I'm thinking that 68 times that that student got buy-in, that that student used a positive, communicative, pro-social behavior and received reinforcement from it. That's 68 opportunities for that. That's amazing. And yes, you probably didn't get much done that lesson and it wasn't fair to the other kids, but you're going to work towards fading that. You're not living it 68 times. That's just where you're getting started. Then you're going to start fading, but you've got to get the buy-in. When I do my full day behavior session, I call this phase one, phase two. Phase one is all the good all the time. And once you get successful there, you move to phase two, delay and denial. 
Then you start waiting. Hey, you've raised your hand, but you got to wait 20 seconds or nope, not your turn to get called on right now. And we're scared that won't work. But when we give that phase one a real shot of building up that buy-in, phase two can be so successful. The last most common question or concern I get is, what if the type of attention is peer attention? The child doesn't want attention from the adults. They want the laughter, the comments, the all the good stuff from their peers. And you better believe you cannot teach a group of fifth graders to ignore the word but or a farting noise. Like they're gonna laugh. Like it's hilarious, okay? So what do you do then? Because how do you starve it? How do you reduce or eliminate that attention? What you really want to focus on with peer attention is the replacement part, is teaching your student, directly teaching positive ways to engage with peers to get attention. This could look like setting up peer breaks. This could look like having the child work for partner time, one-on-one time, picking a preferred friend. You want to build in those opportunities into your day and then teaching through modeling and rehearsal and feedback appropriate ways to get student attention that aren't maladaptive or disruptive or um, inappropriate for that classroom. So this model can still be utilized for peer attention. You're just going to really focus on that replacement and giving them a lot of opportunities to use that replacement behavior. Okay, so attention-seeking behaviors. Remember, this is to get any type of interaction with a peer. And attention-seeking behaviors, like I said at the start of this episode, are normal. We all engage in attention-seeking behaviors all the time. We want to work for our kids engaging in attention-seeking behaviors that are positive and communicative and move away from attention-seeking behaviors that are disruptive, destructive, dangerous, or stigmatizing. So we are replacing the negative attention-seeking behaviors with positive ones. And we're doing that by starving the negative behavior and replacing it with that awesome one. You want to look at reducing or eliminating the attention for the negative stuff and saving your praise, your eye contact, your your nice words, all that good stuff for the replacement behavior. You want to crowd out the good behaviors so there's not even room for the negative ones anymore. So my call to action to you is to look at your students in your classroom right now and to think about potential attention-seeking behaviors. And do your due diligence. Don't jump in with this strategy right away. Jump in with your ABC data. Because remember, that attention bias that I talked about, it could be an escape behavior or sensory or something else. So take your ABC data and get that back up before you move forward with an intervention. That is the key. Did you know that two out of three teachers turn to Teachers Pay Teachers for educational resources? As a seller on TPT, this makes me so excited. I love seeing educators turn to other educators for support in their classrooms. There are so many great resources on Teachers Pay Teachers. And this could be made even better if we could involve school budgets in this process. Enter TPT for Schools. TPT for Schools makes it easy for administrators and teachers to collaborate when making curricular decisions. TPT helps you set up a way of using school funds for these resources. 
This is a new program and there's already over 5,000 schools registered. In the special ed world, this is even more important because we don't have that many resources and the resources that are provided for us might not be so appropriate for our class. To learn more about TPT for Schools, visit schools.teacherspayteachers.com. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.